turn it around, God turn it around, God turn it around, oh, God turn it around, God turn it around, God turn it around. Amen, amen. Lord, we ask you to open our hearts and our minds and to be able to just get everything that Pastor Jeff has for us today and install it into our lives, Lord. We love you. Thank you for turning everything around and for loving us for who we are. We love you. Amen. <laughs> Hi. That's right. I'll talk to them. Y'all, you talk to the, yeah, yeah. It's good to have you up here. It's been a while since we've done this. A long time, actually. Real long time. I could say something sarcastic, but I'm refraining. Yeah. <laughs> Be humble and submitted. Oh, Oh, okay, that's a good topic. Yeah, that morning. is a good topic. Mutual, mutual, mutual submission. submission. Ephesians <laughs> chapter 5. So if you've just joined us, let me explain what we're doing this morning because it is a little bit different. We're in between series, and I decided that uh, we needed a little something where you could really engage with us and maybe ask or inquire about things that you wouldn't normally get to ask. I've done this before with just myself up here, kind of a ask the pastor, but this morning it's going to be both of us, ask Jeff or Nina. And we're throwing this wide open this morning now, uh, so you can ask us personal questions, you can ask us about the church, uh, the history, ask us doctrinal questions, questions about the Bible, I anything really, it's, it's open, all right, this morning to you. And here's how you would engage with us if you're in the live stream. Type your response or engagement into the chat window of the device that you're watching on. The chat window's over on the right and there's a link to it. If it hasn't unfolded, you, there, there's a link you click on and it unfolds uh, for you and it will ask you to submit your name, uh, I, I believe, and you can just make one up if you'd like to. Uh, <laughs> uh, or you can text us, all right, and here in the sanctuary as well, you can text us your engagement, and that's 720-878-3323. Again, 720-878-3323. I will be monitoring the chat here. Nina is monitoring uh, the, the text messages, all right? And so... Uh, with that, we're, we're not going to start with a, a question. The whole time is a question. Now, we did decide that we would begin with three minutes, three minutes each. Don't put us on a timer. Yes, do. No, don't. We need to be on a timer. No, don't. <laughs> you can be on the timer. Yes, I need a timer because I'll go on. Now, that's humble. You'll get me started. So anyway, uh, we're each going to take three minutes to respond to these two questions, uh, Nina's going to begin. Or, okay. Or two topics. I don't know that they're questions. But. No, they're not two questions. Two right. so let's pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are uh, come here this morning to talk to you, to hear from you, to commune with you, to be here with um, others who make up your body and our body. We, we are a body together. So I pray that together, Lord, we um, hear back from you today the things that we need to hear. 
and we love you so much. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I have a couple of topics that I believe are common beliefs about Christian life that I want to start out with. Um, the first one is, you know, when we become a Christian, a follow, and by that I mean a follower of Christ, when we become a follower of Christ, it's a, it's a wonderful occurrence. It's a wonderful occurrence to wake up to how much he loves us. And then what proceeds to happen in that beauty and wonder and love is we begin to feel like all of our uh, problems will be solved and that there won't be any. There won't be pain. There won't be heartache. There won't be troubles. Um, and, and then we even see some wonderful scriptures that, that talk about uh, God's being forced. That song we just sang, God's going to turn some things around. I believe that. I believe God's going to turn things around. I believe that all of my hope is in Jesus. However, I do not believe we are guaranteed a pain-free, trouble-free life because we follow Christ. As a matter of fact, he says, uh, in the world, you will have tribulation. Now, I know the next part says, but I've overcome the world. But that doesn't define that nothing bad will ever happen. If you read about Paul, you find out in, in first, 2 Corinthians 11, there's this, and we might get into it in a little while, depending on where we go with everything. There's this very long list of all these terrible, horrible, painful things he went through. He didn't, he didn't just say, hey, I'm victorious. He actually went through painful, suffering times. And this is the person who we do a lot of our following of uh, through Scripture is Paul. So I don't believe we're guaranteed a pain-free, suffering-free, problem-free life. I do believe, however, all of our hope is in Jesus and that he does guarantee never to leave us nor forsake us and will walk us through good times and bad times. So that's number one. Secondly, a second belief that we tend to think when we think of being a Christ follower and living a godly life is that we need to be right. And I do not believe that Christianity has anything to do with being right. Righteousness has to do with a journey of following along a path, not about being right. When, when, when mankind ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it led us into this world of laws. It, we weren't meant to live by laws. We weren't meant to live by the knowledge of good and evil. We were meant to live by life-giving, by being life-giving. If you were being life-giving, you wouldn't argue. If you were being life-giving, there wouldn't be wars. If we were being life-giving, there wouldn't be hate. But we live in this world that has started way back then of the knowledge of good and evil, and that's led us to laws, and that's led us to doing what's right instead of what's wrong. But that's not God's highest way of living. God's highest way of living is to be life-giving. What happens when we live by right and wrong, it leads us to a lot of sense of guilt, because, of course, what if you're not right? What if you did something wrong? Then there's all this guilt. God didn't intend for us to live by guilt. It leads us into living by works. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. I've got to do this. And, and we're not meant to read Galatians. Did we start by works? No. Why should we continue in works? And it leads to being judgmental. Because if you're right, then somebody's wrong. And therefore, you're now passing judgment on anybody who's wrong, according, by the way, to your standards. Now, you may say, yes, but my standards are God's standards. Well, how do you know that? Oh, I read the scriptures. Yes, but so did somebody else, and they saw it differently. So, who's right? So, 
I don't believe Christianity is about being right. What I instead believe, it's about being life-giving, and the most life-giving piece is this, love. God is love. There is nothing higher than love. We've all ache for love. We all want love. We all want to be loved. And that's what being a follower of Christ is about, is love, not being right. That's why I don't let her up here more. So we have only... We have only to look at the life of Paul to understand that those who may be of the strongest faith, he, he, he wrote about the quality and the power of faith. He, he wrote about the greatness of faith, lived it, walked it, performed miracles, raised the dead. But his own life is a testimony that things don't always go right, if you will, or according to our expectation, or that you have to change. It's, it's not error-free living, it's not uh, suffering-free. Paul suffered amazingly, and yet he, he wrote to Timothy, yet out of these all the Lord delivered me whether your ultimate deliverance comes at the end of life or now in this life, you will be delivered out of everything that is a compromise of God's purposes and will for you. And much of that happens in this life. But suffering is a beautiful pathway to deeper awareness. We are too quick to want to be delivered when actually suffering and this is Old and New Testament. Suffering is a doorway to greater awareness of the Father. When it comes to being right, that was really important to me. You, I remember. <laughs> and, you know, my personality is kind of bent that way, and so to become a, a minister and to be raised and mentored by a group of individuals for whom evangelicals whose thought was that, you know, basically the Bible was a book of, uh, uh, of teachings of morality and uh, that you needed to believe the right things in order to have God's blessing and to be close to God and to live a fruitful Christian life. Uh, I mean, it played right into my natural personality uh, strengths and weaknesses. One thing that's really made that dichotomy of the need to be right for a Christian that's popped it out for me and really made it stand out is when somebody mentioned, well, so when you pray for your team to win, for God to bless your team and God's hand be upon you winning, this could be political sports, it could be, you know, you understand, don't you, that the other team is also praying <laughs> that God would bless them and that they would win and that you would be crushed, right? So who's right? Whose side is God on? 
and the person praying for this candidate is just as sincere as the person who's praying for that candidate. Just as sincere and believes it's just as much God's will. I mean really. I mean sincere, Bible-believing, faithful, godly believers, Christ followers. Praying for completely opposite, diametrically opposed sometimes things that God would answer. So, amen. Amen. I see Ralph has a question here. Yes, we do have our first question, or at least the first question that I'm seeing uh, in the uh, chat window here, right? Ralph asks, how do we become followers of Christ if we are Christ? For example, he is the head, we are the body. Or he is in us, we are in him. If that be true, and it is, how do we become followers? Well, I think that's a very good point, of course, Ralph. And I, and I think we and I am continually looking for the right language to articulate mm. uh, this newfound beliefs that we're in. Um, and so you make a really great point. But generally speaking, I think it's an expression of saying I am awaking, awakening to Christ. And therefore, um, maybe mentally following him now, emotionally following him, choosing to follow and walk in who I already am and who Christ is in me already. That's, you know, basically I think it's just, a diff it's just hard to figure out the language. You mentioned the word awareness, and that's what I was going to mm -hmm. mention. You know, Paul in his book to the Roman church, to the Romans, uh, in chapter 12, uh, I'll quote it, let, let me just bring it up here. Ralph wanted to know if what Jeff was saying, his sermon already counted towards his three, three minutes. <laughs> I love you, Ralph. Shut up. <laughs> Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. I think Ralph is exactly correct. We have a positional truth of being in him but then we have a reality of needing to mature in our awareness so that we become a greater follower, all right? I think it has, as you said, to do with awareness and maturing, and how does that happen? It's not getting more saved or closer to God. It's renewing your mind. How can you, okay, this is from Jeff Peter. How can you follow someone if you don't know the person you are following? Uh, I guess I would ask, and Jeff, you'll be able to answer this since you're, you're here. Uh, Christ, do you mean not having seen who you're trying to follow? Is that what you mean, Jeff? 
when you say follow, we're, we're going to bring the mic back there. Go, yeah, the go, mic go back ahead. To Jeff there. Yeah. yeah. You might have it off. I was kind of answering Ralph's question and the fact of you have to know the person and what they believe to be able to follow them and, you know, what they believe in and things like that. Okay, so you were actually responding to Ralph not asking a new question, okay. Good morning. Good morning. Wanted to make sure my voice wasn't too loud. Um, I agree with Jeff, but I, I, I believe <clears throat> that it's not a matter of, you know, you have to know them, you have to know what they believe before you can choose to follow. You have to choose. And in Christ, we are in that choresis, the, the perichoresis. Perichoresis. Okay, where he's always there, he's always mindful. Uh, and to choose to follow him means that he's leading us someplace. You can't follow somebody that's not going anywhere. And what I see in your comment, Jim, is that element of risk that faith always has. Right. That's, it's called stepping out in faith. The reason that phrase appeals to us and has reality, I think of the movie with Harrison Ford as the uh, uh, treasure uh, hunter, Indiana Jones. Indiana Jones person, and he's, uh, he's come up to a great chasm that he needs to cross and there's, there's no way to get across it. And he hears the voice of his father, not heavenly, but in the movie, trust, step out. And it, a leap of faith. And it, in, the, in the movie, it shows him literally just putting his foot out in the air, trusting that, you know, either, either something's gonna appear here or I'm, you know, going to fry and be burned in the chasm of fire here and he puts his foot out and steps and, and a bridge appears <laughs> it, it's really a depiction of a element of faith it's not the entire reality of faith but there is an element of risk to choosing Jim I am going to follow a mystery we need, of all people, especially in Western, Western evangelicalism and, and American Christians, we need the element of mystery back in our, our faith. We don't know everything. We don't need to know everything before we follow, before we take the step. Um, that would be my response to that as well. Anybody else? Questions. Questions. And again, this is, this is not just doctrinal or about the Bible. Could be, you know, about Nina or, or uh, the only thing you're not allowed to ask is her age. 
Other, no. Otherwise? No, there's a couple other things. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you, okay. Um, so what I believed 20 years ago wasn't what I believed 10 years ago. And now what I believe is different than what I believed 10 years ago. How do you know that what you believe now, which is not what you believed 10, 20, 15, five years ago. Amen. Uh, how do you know that it's right? There's where we get back to it's not about being right. <laughs> how do you know that you are on the correct path? That you're on a good path. How Let's do call you it know? a good path. Okay. How do you know you are on a good path, a, a spiritually righteous, godly path that's leading you to deeper awareness and uh, closeness to God, those kind of things, rather than being deceived. How, how do you know that when 20 years ago you, you know, and 10 years ago you believed differently than 20 years ago, and, and, and it's not like the wholesale. I don't think any of us are saying, I mean, I have completely done a 180, and I don't believe or accept any of the things I believed 20 years ago. That's never been the case for me, and I've done some very deep reconstru or deconstructing. For me, deconstructing isn't about burning the, the bridge and totally wiping out everything from the past that I used to believe. To me, deconstruction is about pruning John chapter 15, pruning. So uh, I'll just take that as an example. Jesus said that when you prune, there will be more fruit. I would say that's one testament. Am I going in a direction that's uh, biblical, godly, you know, that the Lord's involved in? I'm not becoming a heretic. Is there godly fruit? that uh, testifies of Jesus? Are you growing closer to Jesus? Are you more in love with Jesus? Are you more excited about serving people uh, and helping people? Uh, frankly, I believe that comes out of a fruit of the Spirit where you would not, if you were deceived, completely deceived, you would not be bearing that kind of fruit. Now, again, we're not making, neither of us would answer. Well, if, if you're following the right path, we'll be able to break out the Bible and chapter, verse, chapter, verse, chapter, verse, see that you are in agreement with the Bible. <laughs> there, nobody in Scripture presents that as a litmus test, that everything you're doing and believing is in perfect agreement with the Bible, all right? The Bible is the Bible. Jesus is the Word of God. Jesus taught us to see everything and read everything in the Bible through the lens of his life, not the other way around. The Bible doesn't interpret Jesus for us. Jesus interprets the Bible for us. And I'm going on, but... So what you've hit upon, I believe, you know, Galatians 5 says, don't walk according to the flesh which is, and I can't for some reason, like, I, I'll bring it up. I, it's not coming up on my phone okay. in the app I chose. But walk according to the Spirit. And, and it d presents the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace. I, I, have, I have ten of them, but there's only nine. Meekness, goodness, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Maybe that was, that was eight, maybe. So I think that's what we're looking for, is what is life-giving 
what is full of love, joy, peace, patience, meekness, goodness, kindness, gentleness, self-control. To me, that's how you know. That's the, that's the best we can know. When I look back over my 45-plus years of loving Jesus and being aware of Jesus in my life, and, the, and, our, and our first 35 to 40 years of ministry, and I think of some of the things we taught, some of the things we did, um, some of the ways we did it, some of the decisions we made, I now would never do it that way again. And yet, there's no doubt in my mind, now I'm giving you a personal example, this has nothing to do with what the scripture says, I didn't doubt in my mind that we were called all that time. There's no doubt in my mind we made a difference all of that time. There's no doubt in my, but, and yet somehow we never heard God say, you know what, you guys are way off base. He worked with us where we were, and we progressed, and we progressed, and now we just know that. Now we just know that we're progressing. Now we just know that, okay, we can't be arrogant anymore about what we believe. And now we just know in 10 more years, we may not believe, we may have a brand new understanding, or five more years, or two more years. And yet somehow God loved us in those last 40 years. Somehow God worked with us in those last 40 years. Um, so again, that's just kind of a personal example. I think he meets us where we are. But as far as us knowing, I think it's being life-giving and the fruit of the Spirit. That's my thought. Fran, you've been waving crazily back there. What's up? <laughs> Hold it close to her. Yeah. I can't type it, so I'm going to okay. say it. <laughs> that's okay. Years ago, I was not, and I'll admit it, particularly good person. And I had friends that weren't particularly good. And I didn't feel he would accept me. And they were sure he wouldn't either. <laughs> and I think he would, and he kept at it. And he finally did. And I now am a good person, I think. And uh, so there so, you are. <laughs> yeah, so, I, so God came after he, you he, right where you were. He kept after me. Yes. And he finally got me to be a good person so yeah that's great <laughs> loves us right where we are I, I will admit i wasn't i'll swear to admit i wasn't a good person <laughs> I okay won't tell i'm you. i, I will not tell you how i wasn't a good person <laughs> now i'm i'm going to take the opportunity to respond theologically to that so there's the emotional response which nina gave you you know and i'm going to respond with the theological uh, response which is that at neither time when you were a bad person or now when you are, quote, in your own eyes, a good person, did God care. He was not closer to, he is not closer to you now or more in love with you now or holding you closer now than he was those years ago when you considered yourself, quote, a bad person. Nothing we have in our relationship with God is due exclusively to being a brilliant, wonderful, good person. It is all in Christ, all right? And then the, quote, bad person that we were, Paul calls that, that man of the flesh, a different nature, if you will, that is not the us that we are in Christ. And so... 
our entire Christian journey is about putting off the old man and coming to an awareness of who we are in Christ. He, he never left us. He was never distant at any time. So it's not, you didn't have to, you didn't have to uh, uh, impress him. You didn't have to appease him. You, you didn't have to get God, all right? There isn't anything you've ever done that got God to say, you know what, now, now, you know, I'll be close to her. Now she's living the right way. He's never had that thought about you. All right, next question. So what you're saying, I could go out and sin right now and he'll still love me the same? Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. So I could go be a murderer, right? Go absolutely. Murder my husband, absolutely. and he'll still love me the same. Absolutely. absolutely. Perfect. Thank you. Here's yeah. here's the thing, you will you will if you go out and commit murder, there will be an effect in the earth that is not good. You will there, reap. And 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 there is a self judgment that happens. We reap what we sow, and so there are things that go on. When we do the acts of the flesh, which Galatians 5, now that he did bring it up, which are contrary to the spirit, it says, uh, and they're in, the spirit and the flesh are con conflict with each other. And the acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, whatever version this is, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Okay, so these acts of the flesh may have negative consequences, but it does not change God's love for you. He died when you were yet a sinner. And here's another deal that I'll go ahead and introduce. There are natural laws. There are governmental laws, all right? They're not greater than God's love or laws, but you will reap the things you sow. If you sow murder you would be judged by natural law and your life on this earth might be taken from you depending on the nature of the murder that you did. Was it accidental? Was it intentional? Did you have malice? Was there a lot of forethought and planning that went into it? You know there's degrees of how the court then will determine what your judgment is and it is a righteous judgment. And so you might lose your life on this earth doing the things, even ultimately, it's like the big one, the worst thing is to murder somebody. You might lose your life in result, but it did not change, not for a second, how God loves you and thinks about you. You unfortunately, clearly weren't in the spirit as opposed to in the flesh. That's why he gives us those lists. So you won't go to hell? Correct. So is there a hell? I've just been waiting to ask that. Yeah. <laughs> Wednesday now. Wednesday. Don't, don't take the meat out of my sandwich from this Wednesday. It's a great question. It, the question is, is there a hell? I'm think, I think there's hell on earth. <laughs> many of you, I'm, I'm, I'm sure, have asked that same question. And some of you have come to conclusions about that. I know I used to be very concluded as to whether there was one or not, and I did believe, and it was in conjunction with, because you have the, the one goes with the other. If there's a hell, there's also penal substitution, all right? So in penal substitution, which is a theory of atonement, 
Among seven theories. Among several different ones. It's not the only one, but the one that's commonly believed, most widely believed by American evangelical Christians, is that Christ paid the penalty for our sin on the cross and appeased the wrath of God that we deserved. So God carried out his wrath on Jesus, put it on Jesus, and Jesus paid and was a substitute uh, for what we deserve to receive, and God carried out his wrath on Jesus. And therefore, if we believe that and accept Jesus in the right way, we are forgiven of our sins, okay? Now, this is not a time for me to go into a study. It would deserve a whole series on um, penal substitution. But hand-in-hand with penal substitution goes a place called hell, all right? Now, I will just say quickly regarding hell and our our personal... um, the conclusion we've come to more recently in the past, oh, I'd say six, seven years, is, look this way? Which way? Oh, yeah. No, okay. (laughs) So I thought I was doing both, but anyway. um, We do not believe in eternal conscious torment. Whenever the word hell is used, That's how you should say it, not just hell, all right? Hell in the Bible, there isn't a single use of the word hell that's referring to a place a soul goes after life to burn in punishment, Hell is in the Bible, but it has to be interpreted as to its use and what it meant, all right? Now, so let's deal with the subject the real subject, when we use that word as evangelicals, what we're talking about is eternal conscious torment forever by an angry God who told you in one breath, God so loves the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him will not go to hell is kind of how we end that, right? But if you don't believe the right way, I am so mad at you and I am so angry with you that I am going to take pleasure in in eternally banishing you to eternal conscious torment where you you will burn forever. All right, so there's the message that you must believe if you believe in hell. We do not accept that that is God's nature. We do not believe that that is the end of life. And what you need to know about hell, by the way, is this subject of eternal conscious torment has been argued by many uh, Christians, theologians, Bible students throughout millennia, all right, since the time of Christ. This has been argued. And wonderful, godly, Christ-following theologians and believers coming down on different sides of this. There's not one theory regarding it. But we do not believe in eternal conscious torment. One view of this would be annihilation, where just life, uh, the the soul is annihilated for those who don't follow Christ and uh, come to a place where they've accepted Christ. That's not my personal, but that would be one explanation. Another one is that uh, there's eternal conscious torment. Another one is that, no, there isn't eternal conscious torment, that 
That's explained as a place of the fires of Gehenna, which was outside of the walls of the city of Jerusalem where they burned trash. And, and that the hell being referred to is a soul fire, all right? How many times have you, this is hell. How many times have you used the statement or referred in your mind to, man, these circumstances, I'm going, I'm going through hell. And on this earth, it is very possible to go through hell. And in that hell, there have been many people who have lost their faith, in fact. Divorce, oftentimes, which Jesus refers to. He says, when a man puts away a woman and divorces her, he causes her to commit adultery. He's not talking about physical fornication. He's talking about spiritual apostasy. All right? And, and, and so how does a man co- cause a woman to commit Adultery, if it's not an emotional thing, many people through, a, through the process of adultery lose their faith in Christ, D- divorce, excuse me, lose their faith in Christ and stop following and going to church and, you know, having a, a religious life. That's one of the outcomes of it because of the hell that they go through. There are many explanations for hell and afterlife, but personally, because of the work of the cross and what Jesus accomplished through his death, burial, and resurrection and the love of God and that I have never actually been separated from God at any point in time, we do not believe in eternal conscious torment. All right, now I have a question in the... Uh, I don't think this is a question. I think this is, in, I think this is Ralph's response to what you asked, Matt. How do we know if we're doing the right thing? And he says... And then and he, he connects it to what we were saying. Mm-hmm. Is what you are believing today life-giving to yourselves and others for now? What you believed 20 and 10 years ago brought you here. Do you consider where you are now life-giving? Then it is good. So again, he's saying if it's life-giving, and even what we've, where we were, if it wasn't all of what we know now, did it bring us, it brought us to this point and, and, and we thought we were life-giving then, we think we're life-giving now, that that's a process of good. I hope I'm explaining that correctly, Ralph. If not, please bring, bring the yeah. correction here. Chat with us further. Uh, it's interesting that Jesus said, I have come to give you life and life more abundantly. He didn't qualify that. He didn't say, I've come to take you to heaven. <laughs> You know, because he didn't. That's not what the Christian religion is about, going to heaven. That, that's not the goal of Christianity, to, for you to get to heaven, all right? Uh, I've come to give you life and life more abundantly, John 10, 10. And so I love what Ralph is saying here. You know, we, it, except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, had we not eaten, if, if we weren't living out of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we wouldn't even ask, you know, is there hell? Because what we'd be doing then is living so much out of life. And I'm not condemning the question. Please understand. I, I have had all of those questions and walked through it too. But hell is a result of having eaten of the knowledge of good and evil. And so we're constantly p- comparing and placing ourselves in the place of are we good, are we bad, and if I'm bad, there must be a bad result to that. And clearly, God's angry with me because I'm bad, and so the place that I've always heard that God's going to send me because I'm bad is hell. And it's just a natural flow because we've eaten of the tree of the knowledge of not just evil, but good. 
Good and evil, constantly comparing. Jesus says, no, I'm going to do away with that. I want you to live out of life. There's nothing in God that is death, speaks of darkness or death. He is life. Next question. Actually, I don't have a question. I have a scripture. First one is Matthew 12, 31 and 32. <clears throat> Excuse me, and I would love to know what this says in the mirror, mirror translation. So I tell you, every sin and blasphemy can be forgiven except blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, which will never be forgiven. Anyone who speaks against the Son of Man can be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven, either in this world or in the world to come. Thank you for your comment. Mira doesn't have Matthew. Matthew I'm just looking it up. Matthew hasn't yeah. translated I, yet. We can talk to John about uh, Master Giovanni and get some more definition for one thing. But, you know, interestingly, just because it, it says they won't be forgiven doesn't mean they're going to hell. What makes you think just because they're not forgiven doesn't mean they're going to hell? Yeah, why, why do we need even a hell? If, and... Even if that's true, that they're, even if that's an accurate translation, they'll not be forgiven. That doesn't necessarily equate, does it, to going to hell? And, and is the, forgive, the unforgiveness, does it have to do with society and our life and our friends? It does it have to do with the uh, Holy Spirit not forgiving us? God not forgiving us? Does it, you know, so when we say he won't be forgiven, what was he talking about? So we have to dissect that in relationship to who he was talking to. He wasn't talking to you. He was talking to a crowd of Jewish believers who lived still under the law. They were not yet under a new covenant, if you will. And they didn't understand the new covenant or the benefits of a new covenant life and so jesus said many things like for instance if you don't forgive neither will your father who is in heaven forgive you that is an old covenant belief that is not a new testament reality jesus said many things like that and i believe this is one of them where he's speaking to his audience culturally and it needs to be interpreted he is not a proponent of that the afterlife for those who, quote, aren't, for, uh, aren't forgiven are going to go to hell. So here's my response to that. Whatever that passage means, whatever it means, I know that Paul said over here that I am to forgive in Ephesians and Colossians as I have been forgiven. There is nothing I have not been forgiven of. Nothing even purportedly that and i don't believe that qualifies as something i could not be forgiven unforgiven uh, of not forgiven of all right so whatever that is doesn't matter because in christ all right there isn't anything in my life that's not forgiven i mean do you understand does that make sense do you understand that I'm not saying do you agree i'm saying do you understand my point my point is in Christ, there isn't anything. And so my forgiveness comes out of the fact that I've been forgiven. Um, yeah, in, in response to Ralph, um, um, were you, yeah, like, are you, do you feel like you're in a place now where you're growing? And 20 years ago, I would not argue that I was growing or thriving. I just believed something because I, I thought it was right. 
and I, I even ignored the spirit telling me things that didn't make sense um, because I was more likely to believe someone at a pulpit telling me things, interpretations of scripture. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think along the way, while I do now feel like I'm in a place that brings life, I did not feel like what I believed bring life brought life to me then. It brought a lot of shame and guilt. Who else? Thanks, Matt. I've said this before, and I'll make the promise again. All right, it's going to take a little bit to gear up for this, all right? I will do a series on the subject of hell. I just think it's, it's a question that so many people have, all of us, and all of us should be asking it, but it's such a pervasive concept in Western uh, religion, Western American Christianity. Not our Eastern brothers, but in Western it is because of the uh, atonement theory of penal substitution. Any other questions? Good questions, guys. <laughs>